On this episode of Dear Teenage Conservatives, we have Lauren Singletary, candidate for Congress in New York's 25th Congressional District. Thank you for sitting down and being on the podcast, Lauren. Thank you so much, Austin, for having me. Uh, it's an honor to be here with you to uh, talk about upcoming politics in the 25th Congressional District right here in New York. Yes, I'm glad we've been trying to plan this for a while. Finally got to sit down and do it. Um, I'm glad that we can have a frank discussion. Um, So I just kind of wanted to ask first, how do you get any rest on the campaign trail? I've seen you all over the county, multiple events, talking to so many different people. How do you rest? I mean, I don't don't know how you do it. Well, I'll tell you what, I've heard that question often on the campaign trail. And for me, it was almost like when I was police chief and you know, police officer for 20 years in this community, you know you're working hard because there are people who are dependent on you. Um, you know, for 20 years, I answered the call. When people called 911, when they had a problem they wanted me to solve. And this is no different. This is about running for an office where it's one of the highest offices in our land. And uh, to represent people here in the 25th Congressional District, which is uh, parts of Morrow County, I'm sorry, all of Morrow County and parts of Orleans County, everything in North of 104. Uh, it's a truly an honor to be able to represent someone. It's an enormous responsibility. And one of the reasons why I'm running is because I wanted to meet people where they are and leave them in a better place. That's what I've done for 20 years. And uh, so when you have that on your mind, when you see the issues that we're facing, crime, you know, public safety, you talk about education and people living the paycheck to paycheck and trying to bring jobs to this area so we can have economic prosperity. It's really uh, want, wanting to drive uh, the effort. And I think people are ready for change. When you have people coming up to you saying with tears in their eyes that you have to win this election, we need change, we need representation. I think uh, it, it allows me to keep going. So I'm out there on the trail and I'll sleep after November 8th. <laughs> that sounds like a good strategy to me. Um, so during your time as a police officer and as police chief, you had a long career. Um, to many people I know, you had a very successful career. Um, why plunge yourself in the realm of politics all of a sudden? I mean, you could have walked away. You could have continued working for another department. Why did you choose to stay and put yourself at the political realm of whatever's coming now? Because there are so many people who are hurting, so many people who are depending on uh, leadership. And right now, I feel like there's a void in leadership. Uh, people want change. We have a crime problem, a crime crisis, uh, not only in our country, but right here in Rochester, New York. As you know, last year, we were one of many cities that broke homicide records. We had 81 lives that were taken, taken, I don't say lost, taken, cut short. And the policies that have been created, the soft on crime policies that have been created uh, in Albany and the culture that has been coming out of Washington, D.C. has been the go along to get along. And right now, people want common sense. People are losing their lives in our streets. People want economic prosperity. People want to know that they have a good job, that they can build some sort of retirement for their family. People want to know that they will no longer have to live paycheck to paycheck. Two out of every three Americans are living paycheck to paycheck uh, in our country. And we talk about education. We need to make sure that we are ensuring that our kids receive a quality education that's going to prepare them for tomorrow. Uh, 
And so those are the reasons why I decided to get into politics. I was always interested in politics, but I was comfortable and happy being police chief until politics happened to me. Uh, so when one door closes, another one opens. And uh, at the age of 39, I reached the pinnacle of my career in the Rochester Police Department as chief of police. And so we dealt with a number of things. We dealt with riots. We had uh, police officers who were shot. Um, I had a police officer who uh, uh, lost his life accidentally driving to work and another officer who lost his life uh, riding his bike with his son. Uh, so I had a number of things that I had to deal with in my short tenure and time as police chief. We had a pandemic mm -hmm. going on during that time. So I had a lot of things going on uh, and everyone kept asking me, what is the Lord preparing you for? Because uh, I'm a person of faith. Uh, what is the Lord preparing you for? Because you are encountering so many different things. We had Officer Denny Wright who lost his uh, eyesight to uh, an individual in the community. Um, so um, for me, it's about wanting to serve. And I'm just a, a public servant who cares about public service, who cares about you all, the people. And that's what we need in the community right now. Absolutely. So during your time as police chief, um, there was the situation with Daniel Prude. Now, do you find that when you're out campaigning that people in the community are still stuck up on that part of your career or do you think that they're focusing on other issues this election i think you know it, it's certainly i think on people's minds as it should be um it was a tr very tragic situation uh, but you know uh, there are a lot of issues going on right now uh, as i've mentioned and talked about before but uh you know that's an issue that was very tragic and i think just like any incident that we have in a police department what we typically do is we do uh, uh, incident review to see what we could have possibly improved on. And uh, that incident, you know, is no different than any other incident that we do in a police department that we do uh, a critique on and see what could have been done better. What did we do right? Um, so I think I was removed. I don't think I knew I was removed prior to that uh, incident review being conducted. Mm -hmm. You know, so I'm not sure uh, what if any changes were made other than what we might have heard in the media. Uh, but uh, again, that issue, I think, could be on people's minds, but I also think that there are many people who saw the issue for what it was. And I think many people um, I, I said that you were made to be the scapegoat in, in that situation. You know, regardless of what happened, uh, you know, obviously I sued the city of Rochester at that particular point in time. Uh, and I don't like to say we won, but I think we did prevail because someone did lose their life. Mm -hmm. And it's a very tragic situation. But uh, what LaRon Singletary did was LaRon Singletary notified the proper authorities that we needed to make the notifications on. Uh, the highest officer in the state of New York did an investigation. And she came to her findings after presenting it to 23 members in the community, a grand jury. And I think she was transparent on that process. So, you know, when I'm in the community, I always tell people, you can ask me anything you want. And there are not a lot of questions that come up about it. Yes, and I think that's something that a lot of people see is that you are very transparent, very, very open, in contradiction to our current congressman right now. Um, crime. Crime is a big issue in this community. Doing research um, before this podcast, I found one statistic that said in Rochester specifically, there's a one in 25 chance in the city of you being a victim of crime. Um, what will uh, Oran Singletary administration and Congress 
look like to address an issue like that? Because that is a very alarming statistic. Well, I think one of the things that we have to do first and foremost is we have to support law enforcement. That's one of the reasons why I decided to run for Congress, because over the last two years, this defund the police movement uh, has done nothing but demoralize our police, demonize our police, and has driven police officers away from the profession. They retired, they resigned, they transferred to other places like Florida, Georgia, uh, because uh, their governors are offering them hefty bonuses to join their departments and leave states like California and New York because of the soft on crime policies. Uh, without public safety, you can forget everything else. You can forget having a quality of life. You can forget uh, jobs and corporations coming to your community. So we have to support law enforcement. We all want good policing. Mm -hmm. uh, when I was 20 years in policing, uh, there was nothing more uh, a good cop hated than a bad cop because you make the profession look bad. And there are people who stood before us who have worn the badge, and there are people who have paid the ultimate sacrifice, uh, as we just not so long ago mm -hmm. uh, with Officer Tony Mazurkowitz, who paid the ultimate sacrifice. So, you know, to tarnish the badge is something that I think every good cop does not want to ever have to experience or see experienced by someone. Um, so I think we have to first and foremost support our police. We have to fund our police. Uh, every community needs to be safe. And when you talk about public safety, uh, it's not a Democrat issue. It's not a Republican issue. Exactly. It's not an independent issue. It's not a black or white issue. Mm -hmm. We all have a fundamental right to be safe in our community. And unfortunately, there are people in office who do not see that. And I'll say it, my opponent uh, certainly was not for funding our police department. He sat in a crowd in a protest mm -hmm. while I was chief of police trying to calm a city uh, after the George Floyd protests um, that occurred across this country, uh, the incident that happened out in Minneapolis. So we have to support our police. We also have to work with our other uh, political officials on the state level and local level um, to call them out if they're not doing their job uh, and also to work with them to make sure that the people in the areas that you represent are safe. And right now in Rochester and in many parts of the 25th Congressional District, people do not feel safe. So we also have to work with the Department of Justice. Yes. You know, as a congressman, you have the ability to work with the Department of Justice to bring grants here, to bring resources here, to make sure that the people you represent are safe. So bringing back to the situation with Joe Morelli, I remember um, during the protests that happened in Rochester, there was a situation where he went out into a crowd and the people were telling him, you know, we don't want you as our congressman. We want new leadership. Do you see that within the community of Rochester, they're saying the same thing to you more on uh, a scale about crime and about these public safety issues? Do you see them saying, you know, we want someone that's going to help us be safe, not someone that's going to defund the police and make a more unsafe community? Absolutely. When I was chief of police, I heard the same thing. I used to walk these communities, walk these streets uh, quite often. And people said, Chief, we want more police, not less police. And as I'm traveling this congressional district right now, people are talking about the bail reforms. People are talking about the soft on crime policies. People are talking about the Less is More Act that Governor Hochul signed into law, where you're basically saying that people can, can commit crimes and not be held accountable for their crimes, particularly those who are already on some sort of supervision like parole and probationers. So if we're not holding people uh, responsible for their actions, what kind of society are we involved in? You know, um, 
No sane person says that we're going to defund the police, let people out of jail, and expect that our communities to be safer. That's just asinine. Exactly. You know, no sane person would say that. But uh, I, I asked the question, uh, you know, who are our current officials representing? Because the people on the streets, they're having a conversation, and that conversation is that we want to be safe. Exactly. And I've noticed recently the people I've talked to have said that they support your campaign having Lauren Singletary become our next uh, congressman. But with that, I've also seen the attacks on you um, continue. Yesterday, for the first time, I saw an attack ad on TV that was strange to me because, first of all, it's not something that uh, you're focusing on in the campaign, something that Joe Morelli more wants to focus on. Um, I just wanted to give you a chance to respond yeah. to that. Well, thank you. Uh, he wants to focus on attacking my character uh, because he is wrong on every issue. He's wrong on public safety. He is not created jobs for this community to try to improve the quality of life for people in this community. And he has done nothing to support education in Rochester. And he is silent. His silence is deafening on a number of issues that are kitchen table issues for the people in the 25th Congressional District. So I think people want change. People know that Joe Morelli has done nothing for the 25th Congressional District. And I think people support my campaign because I'm about common sense. I'm about trying to improve the quality of life for people here in the 25th Congressional District to include all of Monroe County as well as parts of Orleans County. People want solutions to problems. You know, and right now, if he wants to focus this early on attack ads, there's something that he saw, whether it was a poll or something that he's heard that says that Laron Singletary is right on the issues and people are supporting him and I have to tear him down like he has done many people in this community. Mm -hmm. We know the stories that Joe Morelli has done when he tried to get uh, Morrow County Legislature President Sabrina Lamar fired from RIT. You know, uh, he has done a lot of things to people within the African-American community that has not been favorable. And I think that those issues uh, will come up this election. Uh, they came up his uh, couple last elections. But, you know, people want someone who will focus on the issues. And right now, this early in the campaign, um, there is a mantra that always said that if you're doing something right, they'll be talking about you. Mm -hmm. Well, we must be doing something right because he's talking <laughs> about me. And that's one thing also I've seen is I've talked to members of the community and African-American community in Rochester. And one person was saying um, when it comes to the economy, Joe Morelli has promised that he'll bring jobs back to Rochester. And a, a huge thing that this person was telling me was, where's the jobs? Um, he's talked about how he's going to advocate, legislate, create bills, and create a new way to revitalize the economy. Um, what will you do um, in Congress to help bring business back, help spur innovation, get people to come back to Rochester instead of places like you said, Florida, Georgia, the South? Well, one of the things we have to work with the educational institutions that we have here in Rochester to try to see if we can prevent the brain drain, as they call it, individuals who graduate from our collegiate institutions here in Rochester and decide to leave and go elsewhere. We have to figure out what's going to make Rochester um, relevant, where businesses and corporations want to come here. So we have to be innovative. We have to go around and see and, and talk to the people who are here within this congressional district. Um, we have to provide valiant jobs that are going to stop people from living paycheck to paycheck so that they can afford the opportunity. And so I think a lot of it is 
as a congressional member, what are we doing to work with corporations to entice them to come to Rochester? What are we doing to build our infrastructure, our airport, to make sure that when corporations decide to come to, to, come to Rochester, that their employees, their clients can have transportation that's going to get them in and out of Rochester where they don't have to jump on three or four planes mm -hmm. to get here or to fly out of Rochester. So we have to talk about that infrastructure piece if we're going to um, have any sort of business decide to call Rochester home, as well as uh, the public safety aspect of it. We have to get public safety under control. We have to work with our um, Chamber of Commerce. Yes. We have to work with our Chamber of Commerce and to see what corporations want to see what businesses want here. And we want to build up businesses. This new, this Inf Inflation Reduction Act, this is going to hurt small businesses. Small businesses who are barely making it. Small businesses who are trying to give people in a community an opportunity to um, provide for families in their community. This Inflation Reduction Act is going to do nothing for inflation, but it is going to add 87,000 IRS agents that is going to come after businesses and, and, and middle-class America. And so my advice to small businesses is to change your doors and uh, to change your locks, bolt your doors because 87,000 IRS agents are coming for you. And Joe Morelli has done nothing, like you said earlier, uh, at the top. Where are the jobs? Where are the jobs? Um, I think since his tenure in Congress, according to the New York State Department of Labor, we have lost about 25,000 jobs in Monroe County. That's a lot of jobs. And especially seeing um, if you were in charge of a business and your business lost 25,000 jobs, you'd be out of a job. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I'm glad you brought up the Inflation Reduction Act um, because, like you said, it doesn't reduce inflation. Um, again, with the IRS agents, that's another huge part of what is destroying middle-class America now, is now they're cracking down on, like you said, people that are living paycheck to paycheck, people that are struggling to survive and are doing the right things, but yet are still getting punished. Um, now, we see two quarters of negative growth in the economy, yet the White House still says that we are not in recession territory, we, we're fine, and that we're gliding. Um, what is the solution then to the crisis that we are in now? What is the big fix to the inflation issue that America is facing? Well, one of the things that we have to do is we have to stop printing money. You know, the definition of inflation is too many goods chasing, um, I'm sorry, too much money chasing too few goods. And right now we need to be able to produce things right here in America. So we have to increase the supply to match the demand that we're seeing. Because as we know, if there is too little supply and there's high demand, the price of everything is going to go up. And that's what we've seen over the last um, several months, uh, 18 months or so. Yes. You know, when the president took office, uh, inflation was, I think, is a 1.4%. Mm -hmm. Right now, we're at 8.5% inflation. Uh, so if we continue to spend money that we don't have, uh, right now, our national debt is $30 trillion. You know, that's all we're doing is passing this on to our kids. This Inflation Reduction Act was uh, the green new energy, green climate. It's all it was. It was a climate bill. You know, it's Build Back Better 2.0. Yep. You know, 87,000 IRS agents was in the Build Back Better plan. Um, so to answer your question, we have to increase the supply in the United States, which means that we have to have more jobs here in the United States, which means that we have to have sort of uh, an American first policy. We have to make sure that we are building things right here in this country so that we, we are controlling 
the product in this country. And we're not relying on other countries like Venezuela and Saudi Arabia, countries who absolutely hate us. And we're at the whim and mercy of them. We're at the whim and mercy of China. China has us right where they want us when it comes to education, when it comes to uh, manufacturing, uh, production. They have us right where they want us. They're over here buying lands. Pretty soon they're gonna be telling us when and where and how much can we uh, farm. And so you have to do that. We also have to, uh, if the American family has to live within a budget, so should the federal government. Mm -hmm. We should be having balanced budgets. And we need to be able to say that if we're overspending, we need to say, okay, what programs are we going to cut? And where can we trim some of the fat? You know, we have to, right now, the Fed is raising interest rates. You know, that's one thing in a way to curb inflation. The Fed is raising interest rates, which is, you know, a dual-edged sword. Because when you raise interest rates, you know, there, there uh, I always say this, that uh, the American dream was once when someone could afford to buy a home. Yes. Right now, it's costing people more money to borrow the money to buy the expensive home because of inflation is through the roof. And even, um, I live in Hilton, seeing the housing market in some of the suburbs of Rochester, such as Hilton, um, you see houses that were a hundred twenty hundred thirty thousand dollars now going all the way up to two hundred thousand yeah. plus what the banks are charging mm. um it's just it's it's a big crunch but i did want to um go back to something you said before about our reliance on foreign nations and china specifically um china taiwan relations have been mm -hmm. very tense lately um especially with the trip from speaker of the house nancy pelosi i do commend her on that trip because i think it was a good show of our strength but how do we have what is i guess what is the end game um for congressional members to have to help stop this kind of competitiveness but still able to get foreign tech because yeah. taiwan is a huge manufacturer of uh, chips for yeah. our country that is in many technology Absolutely. Well, one thing we have to do is we have to have a strong defense. We have to continuously build up our military. You know, we always want diplomacy first, but we have to make sure that we have a military that is ready to um, defend our nation. And Ronald Reagan said it best, peace through strength. Mm -hmm. You have to have peace through strength. And when the United States is weak, the world is in trouble. And I think over the last several months, the world has been watching the United States. The world has been watching our president. The world has been watching what has been going on in Washington. And we have seen many instances around the world that the United States has been weak on foreign policy. And I think many countries are taking that as an opportunity to flex, to show their muscle. And if we don't get our nation in order and get on the same page and realize that we are Americans first and that we have to come together and we have to show support and strength, um, we're going to be in world trouble. So we have to have one, a strong military. We have to believe in peace through strength and we have to hold countries accountable and let people know that we are just not going to be bullied. Um, so I think I agree with you that when Nancy Pelosi made her trip, I think it was a, a great uh, presence that she needed to make in the area. Um, and when you look at Russia, Ukraine, um, many people believe that we were too slow to act um, on that. And this possibly could have been avoided. But and, I, and I think mm -hmm. when 
uh, again, when we analyze the foreign policy aspect of it, tensions, like you said, with America have been rising with every country, whether it's been with the China-Taiwan crisis, with the Afghanistan withdrawal, and Russia and Ukraine. Um, Ukraine has been a huge exporter of grain and food for the world, which has caused a global uh, food chain uh, disruption. How, How does the U.S. flex its muscles with still trying to get those vital resources to the world um, while still not interfering and getting ourselves directly involved? Because Congress, uh, Congress members and senators have gone to Ukraine and showed that they support them. And I think there's no doubt that the U.S. government supports Ukraine in their fight for freedom. But how do we do more? I just feel like it's been more of a lax... Uh, lacks position from Congress and Congress members? Well, I think one of the things that Congress could have done was put more pressure on the president um, to either deliver, deliver aid, whether it's formal weaponry, to Ukraine. Um, and, you know, they were getting attacked, and we were not beefing them up um, as we probably could have and should have. Yes. Um, so I think that's one entity about becoming not directly involved and not having a nuclear war uh, with a nation like Russia. Um, but again, it goes back to the United States being weak on the world stage. And part of the, when I say United States, I mean the White House, the executive branch, and yes. Congress. You know, we need to make sure that we are not playing politics, that we have to be able to sit at the table. There should have been a number of discussions between congressional leaders and the president of the United States as to how to handle and tackle this issue, along with our military leaders. Um, You know, this is an issue that I think that we could have certainly um, possibly prevented thousands of people from dying. And uh, I think this is a situation that is still going on. And uh, we'll see what China does next with Taiwan. Mm -hmm. But uh, we have to stop playing politics. We have to get back on the world stage. And we have to show a united front and work with allies who want to work with us. And with the peace through strength aspect of it, when I was looking back at relations in Europe, um, under Obama, Russia invaded Crimea. Um, Under the last administration, there was no uh, invasions anymore from Russian forces into Europe. And then when Biden takes office, we have a full-on invasion or attack against Ukraine. So it is definitely something good to look about. I wanted to move on and also talk about education in the city of Rochester. Um, The education system for a long time, as it's been reported on the news and other outlets, uh, has been mismanaged. Um, The funding has been misused. Uh, The district is trying to do its best with not great resources. Um, What would you do in Congress to help uh, not just um, the Rochester City School District, but districts in our community to help them with funding and issues like the City School District is yeah. facing. Well, one thing I think you have to do is uh, the first step to solve any problem is recognize that you do have a problem. And the other thing you have to do is you have to communicate with those entities. And I think there should be no reason why a Congress person should not be able to sit down with state legislature officials as well as local officials, and come to the table and meet quite often. Because we're talking about the future of our children here. We're talking about um, developing uh, a unit here within this congressional district. Not long ago, a couple of years ago, 2019, I believe, 
the, the 25th congressional district was the second worst for African Americans to live. Uh, when you talk about jobs, when you talk about quality of life, when you talk about trying to bring economic prosperity to the area, again, what has Joe done for this area to try to improve the quality of life for, for people? So I think one of the things that we have to do, and, and, and as I travel the district, I hear people say, well, do we want the federal government involved in a state's issue? Mm-hmm. But guess what? The federal government, if you're a con- congressional member, you represent the people who live within that geographical area where state officials represent them. So the first thing that you should be doing is advocating for the people who live in your area. And if education is not something that the congressional member wants to say that is something that is not his responsibility, you have people who live in that district. Whether you're talking about crime, education, the economy, those these are all issues that impact the people who live in your district. So you should be trying to advocate to state officials as to how to change something that may or may not be working um, if it's if it's not good for the people within the congressional district. Yes. So I think one of the things you have to do is you have to have a conversation. You have to hold people accountable. And the congressional office should be held uh, like a bully pulpit. You know, to say something is a state's issue is just not good enough. You're turning, you're, you're, you're pawning it off. Yeah. And that's something that I would never do. If there is a problem at the state level, just like with bail reform, I'm going to be calling state officials out. I'm going to be in front of the camera every single day because I have people in my congressional district who are dying as a result of soft on crime policies, who are not receiving a quality of education because of uh, what's going on in school districts, or if there are not enough jobs being produced. What can we do to work together on the federal and state level to bring jobs to our area so people can be prosperous? And that's a huge thing is accountability. Um, keeping our public officials accountable. And like you said before, Joe Morelli has had many instances where he's gotten away with a lot of uh, incidents uh, with the ethics complaint with Sabrina Lamar, um, but many other situations. And I think a lot of people in the district want to know how, with your administration, you would keep local officials accountable, but also keep yourself accountable and say, you know, when, I'm not saying you would, but if you did mess up, you'd own up and you'd say, I messed up because you never hear that from our congressman. It's always, oh, well, it was the Republicans' fault. It was this person's fault. It's just, it's a constant transfer of blame. And I think people are tired of that constant transfer of blame. People want somebody who's going to go to their respective office and represent the people, represent the interests of the people. Case in point, the Inflation Reduction Act. What does that do for the people of the 25th Congressional District? What's in it? for the people of the 25th Congressional District, other than you're raising taxes on people during a recession. There are people who are barely making it. So I think it's about educating people and it's about calling out the differences between Joe Morelli and I. And I think people are starting to wake up because when you are sending your kids out to play and you don't believe that they can be safe, or when you send your kids to any school district and you may believe that there's something going on within that school district that they're not um, receiving the best education possible, you're going to question it. And I think it's time for us to start questioning Joe Morelli and what he has or what he has not done for this congressional district. Um, so I think part of it is, part of holding us accountable is having the, the conversations, having town halls. We had two of the biggest bills put before Congress, Bill Back Better, the infrastructure bill. He didn't hold any town halls to get any type of representation or any type of feedback from the people he supposedly represents. Why? Because we have a one-party system right now in 
in, in, in Washington, the one party rule that is pushing bills through and not having any type of debate on the floor. And part of that debate should be coming back to your congressional district, listening to the people you represent, and then taking those arguments back to Washington, saying this is what the people in my district are saying. He hasn't done that a bit. If that's not accountability, <laughs> I don't know why it is, you know? <laughs> exactly. And I think in those situations, too, like you said, having town halls, I personally, over the last two years, since he's been elected or a year since he's been elected, I've not seen him out in the community. And I haven't seen him on TV. I haven't seen him in person at any events. Um, but recently, he's been emerging. And I think, like you said before, he's seen something that told him he needs to start paying attention because, like I said before, there's a lot of people I know in the community that are now saying, that are Democrats, that are saying, um, I think maybe a Laurent Singletary administration will be better than what we have now. Because like you said, there is no representation. And it's not a representation of both Republican and Democrat or independent. It's just solid Democrat. It's not a compromise, which is what Congress is supposed to be. It's not supposed to be, like you said, a one-party system. It's mm -hmm. supposed to work for everybody. Mm -hmm. um, so with, if you get elected to Congress, um, would you try to include more uh, diversity within the community, like Democrats or certain demographics, like the African-American community, into the conversation? Absolutely, hands down, unequivocally, yes. Um, when I was police chief, I would talk to anybody. You know, what we need to get back to in this country is first, we're all Americans. Uh, we need to sit down and have a conversation, even if we disagree on issues. But at least we can get it from the table and say, you know what, we had a conversation, we can agree to disagree, or maybe we can come to some sort of consensus. But uh, that needs to happen. And one of the reasons why I left the Democratic Party, look, all Democrats are not bad. Mm -hmm. You know, all Republicans are not good. Look, we need to be able to come to the realization that we have to have a conversation. And one of the reasons why I left the Democratic Party was because there was an element that was taken over the Democratic Party that was too extreme and that was far left. When you have an entity, a political party in this country, try to tear down the very fabric of what our country is built upon, which is law and order. We are a nation built on law and order. And when you try to tear down the fabric of policing, What's left? Are we going to have total chaos? Are we going to have total anarchy? If we don't have public safety, people cannot afford to leave their homes to go to work to try to get a paycheck for fear of being shot, for fear of being robbed. These are things that are kitchen table items that are on the precipice of every single person who lives in the 25th Congressional District. It's on their minds. When I go door knocking, that's what people are talking about. Safety. Safety of their family, safety of their kids, and also the economy. Mm -hmm. and also the academy and Joe Morelli has failed miserably on both and I, I'm glad you brought that up because a lot of people don't know about me when I was I know I'm young I'm 16 <laughs> but even um three or four years ago I used to think that I was a democrat because I thought my values aligned with that until I started doing more research and becoming more politically involved and like you said I felt that as Ronald Reagan said, and you've said before, um, I didn't leave the party, the party left me. And I noticed that more of my values seem to align with more of a conservative platform. And like you said, it doesn't mean that you're going to uh, think that all Republicans are good all, or all Democrats are bad or you agree with everything in the party, but at least knowing 
your values and your goals in running for Congress or as an individual. Um, which brings me to something else I wanted to talk about. I mean, this uh, podcast is called Dear Teenage Conservatives. Um, how do you think um, young people play a role in not just national politics, but local politics? Mm-hmm. Um, how do you think, why, why do you think that younger people should get involved? Well, look at yourself. You're 16 years old and you're very knowledgeable about politics. Why? Because obviously, obviously you took an interest in politics or you saw somebody within your life that you wanted to role model. Um, just like when I was a police officer. I wanted to be a police officer, so I followed somebody who, I have many role models who encouraged me to be a police officer, starting with my fifth grade dare teacher. So you have to expose yourself to certain things um, based on your values, based on the way you were raised, and you start to say, okay, yes, this I may align with a little more, this I may align with a little less. So it's very important for young people to become involved. It's very important for young people to become engaged because ultimately you all will be the ones who will be stepping into the positions to make the tough decisions. And so I think the earlier you do get involved, the better. And uh, and I think that's why it's so important for me. That's one of the things that I always try to do in my career as law enforcement. One is to be transparent. Two, have integrity. And three, get young people involved. Um, because I think it's so important. Because if we see a lot of the issues and problems that we're facing today, uh, we see a breakdown of the family structure. We see, we see faith has been taken out of everything. So what is guiding us? Mm-hmm. You know, our youth, I think sometimes they are lost. Not all youth, but a significant number of youth are lost. We have a lot of people in this community who have hope, but they don't have the opportunity resources to go along with the hope that they have. And one of the reasons why I'm running for Congress is to ensure that we do bring resources to this community. We do bring opportunity to this community so people can fulfill the hope that they have. We need taxpaying dollars to come back to this area so they can be so they can multiply and be fruitful for the very people who need them not special interests or yes. not put when people put people in places like we've seen my opponent do and try to control the dollars that come into this community mm-hmm. it doesn't work for anybody yeah and that's a huge thing is making sure that while well, everybody is represented young people as the next generation are also heard because like you said we are going to be the ones taking over these offices one day and what happens now especially like you said before with inflation is going to affect us and with our economy going in more into debt and with crime becoming a major issue in the community it is something that we do have to look at um, yeah, when you, when you talk about education, you know, you want to talk about vocations and trades, bringing vocations and trades into the spectrum and introducing our young people to vocations and trades. I met with 20 CEOs from the trucking industry who said that they would love to give jobs to youth um, graduating from high school that can potentially make close to six figures. But there's a lot of regulation. There's a lot of bureaucracy that they have to get through um, when it comes to the federal government and the state government. Um, so these are things that we, we need to try to navigate through. And you do that by having conversations. You do that by networking. And so, you know, we know the price of tuition for college is steadily increasing. Mm-hmm. So we need to make sure that we are giving our kids every single opportunity to be successful in life. And I think that's one thing I would suggest to you when you go to Congress is, uh, although college is a great option, um, it's not for everybody. Correct. And I know a lot of people at my school that go to vocational training programs like Wamoko in mm-hmm. Rochester and do those trades in other fields. 
and go on and become very successful. Um, so I think that's something that needs to be focused on more when it comes to youth in the conversation of Rochester as a community. Absolutely, absolutely. Right now we're just forcing everybody to go to, to college, which I'm not knocking college. You know, I went to Brockport and received my master's in public administration. Mm-hmm. You know, education is the closest thing to magic in America, as Trey Gowdy says. Um, and so it's very, very important. I follow Trey Gowdy and Tim Scott. And they both say the same thing. Mm-hmm. Education is the closest thing to magic in America. And we need to make sure that they're receiving that quality education today to prepare them for tomorrow. So as uh, I, I was going to wrap up, but I remembered uh, one more thing. As uh, uh, African-American going into Congress, would you try to uh, w- would you try to become part of the Black Caucus? Because I know, um, uh, forgive me, I forgot the... Uh, Representative's name, but he was from Florida. Byron Donalds. Yes, he's my mentor actually on this. Uh, oh, really? And we talk quite a bit. Yeah. Oh, I, I remember seeing something about how he wanted to be on it. I, I don't think he was, was able to get on. Would you try to apply for the Black uh, Caucus, or would you try to create a Republican? I would Black certainly caucus? look into it, and, and I think that uh, I, what I would do is uh, maybe we could form our own if we get enough elected. You know, right now, I believe Burgess Owens uh, from Utah and Byron Donalds from Florida are the only two African-American Republicans. Uh, Byron's in the House. Actually, they're both in the House. Two representatives. They're the only two African-Americans. They're Republican Mm -hmm. in Congress. So, as you know, this year, there is a whole slate and slew of African-Americans and minorities that are running for office on the Republican ticket. And I think people are starting to say, you know what, let's give this party a try because we see what we have had and we see things that are not changing as much. And one of the things that I decided to run for Congress for when I sat down with the person who asked me to run, and I said, look, one of the things I want to do is take my message, the Republican message, and what I believe the Republican message is and should be, is to the African-American community. And because I think we have missed out on that conversation. And I like Lawrence B. Jones from Fox. Lawrence B. Jones says, if you have a conversation with people in the inner city, they will listen. Mm -hmm. And you might find out that you actually might agree on many of the topics, many of the issues that they're facing. And one person I was talking to, um, I was an African-American from the city, was saying he thinks a lot of the black community's uh, values align with conservative values, which I've noticed is becoming more of a trend when you talk about what they want. They want individual freedom. They want a good economy. They want low taxes. They want all these things that are Republican platforms, but they are uh, Democrats, which is surprising um, to me. Uh, just something as a kind of thought, but it, it is something definitely to think about having more, like you said, African-American representation within the Republican Party. And I think it's amazing that we're finally getting you uh, in this community to represent the whole community, um, not just a, a part of the community. Mm-hmm. Um, we're on Singletary. Thank you so much for being on this podcast. I'm very uh grateful that we could have this sit-down interview. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, I know that there's a bright future ahead for you. Yes. And uh, before we go, would you like to plug any of your social media? 
Sure. Uh, people can go to my website, www.singletary4congress.com. There you can find me on uh, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. But www.singletary4congress.com. And if you're listening and you're in the 25th Congressional District, we would love for you to come check us out and volunteer for our campaign. This election is going to heat up. Yes. Thank you so much. Um, this is Austin DeLorme on this episode of Dear Teenage Conservatives. This is me signing off.